Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone, it's Neil Carberry, the Chief Executive of the REC here. I've wrestled the uh, podcast chair seat back from my very able Deputy Kate Shoesmith after last week's episode to uh, get back on the air and run you through all the latest from the REC and discussing what's going on in our staffing and recruitment industry here in the UK as uh, we climb out of the pandemic slump even further. You'll have seen recently the REC reporting record numbers in our data for permanent placement growth for temporary uh, billings growth and of course associated with that a real shortage of labour and sharpest of course in driving where you might have seen quite a bit of activity from uh, the REC recently but a number of other sectors and that leading to some quite substantial increases in starting salaries across both perm uh, starting and temp rates starting to feed through and you can use the REC data of course to explain that to clients as you're uh, advising them on their staffing strategies but lots going on the latest bit of data from the from the REC was our jobs recovery tracker that came out on the 13th of August reporting on the latest trends on new job advertising so we'll have a look on the REC website for that and another thing you might want to check out on the REC website is the digital guide on uh, bounce back put together for our members from the REC 21 conference lots of top-notch content from HR directors of the largest companies talking about what they need going into this next period to leaders in our industry and some of the largest firms but also some uh, really good insight from small firm owners across a whole range of issues from diversity and inclusion to uh, business growth to new technology in fact one of the sessions I enjoyed the most was with John Healy who was talking all about blockchain and its potential to transform some of what we do in the industry with things like skills accreditation. John's a good friend of the REC and he's someone we know well from his role at the WEC. Which brings me to our guest for today because the REC is a proud member of the WEC, the UK member of the World Employment Confederation and I'm delighted to welcome a returning guest to the pod, uh, Dini Pennell, who's the uh, Chief Executive of the uh, WEC. Dini, welcome back to the REC pod. Thank you. Hello, everyone. And thanks again for the invitation. So, Denis, um, you heard me in the introduction say, by and large, British staffing and recruitment firms are feeling pretty chipper right now. We've had a really busy first half of the year, bounced back really strongly. And the economy in the UK certainly looks like it's going to be back to its pre-pandemic size in September. Lots of demand out there. If anything, we're a bit worried about capacity constraints, labour supply constraints. So we're thinking about skills and, and immigration reforms, but also potentially inflation starting to come into into the economy. So it's a pretty positive picture uh, here in the UK. But of course, recruitment and staffing is a global business. Lots of our members are working in in lots of other countries. What are you seeing around the world now at uh, at the WEC in terms of how other markets are recovering from uh, what we've been through over the last 18 months? Well, actually, the situation outside the UK is very uh, much similar to what you face in your country. And that's a good news because, indeed, we see as a general trend uh, a major recovery for our industry. As you know, in 2020, uh, the uh, the employment and recruitment industry has been severely hit, you know, by the pandemic. But now all the figures uh, looks good for most of the uh, continental European countries. We are still lagging behind, you know, level of activity of 20. 2019, but only by an average, I would say, of 10%. So being 
minus 10% compared to 2019. So this is actually quite good. And to be honest, we have been surprised. We, we, we didn't think that, you know, the, the recovery would go that fast for, uh, for industry. Of course, this is very much related to all the support measures being adopted by, by governments around the world, huh? because the situation is also very similar in the US or uh, in the uh, Asian part of the world. So quite consistent uh, view on our industry at the global level and again being very much aligned with the UK. But the other side of the coin is that indeed, like in the UK, more and more we face shortages of labor. We see tight labor markets in, in many European countries, in the US, with some difficulties indeed to recruit people. Clearly, during the pandemic, you know, some workers, because they were not able to work, they moved to some other sectors. Some people also uh, have left the labor market. So now in some sectors, like of course, in the in the hospitality sector, you know, uh, hotel and restaurants and, and so on. Yeah, it's really difficult now to, to, to find candidates and not to mention, of course, the, uh, the healthcare sector, huh, which is still very much in demand. Well, healthcare is a great example, isn't it, of that shortage. You know, one of the things I talk to REC members about all of the time is absolutely, you know, we do need immigration systems that make it easier to bring doctors and nurses into the UK to work in our NHS and, uh, and, and support our hospital systems. But of course, we are not alone in wanting to do that around the world. You know, we were just talking earlier before we came online about our friend Charles Cameron in Australia. And Australia has exactly the same need for uh, doctors and nurses to come into their system. The same is true in, in lots of other parts of the world. And what we face actually is a global shortage of healthcare staff. In fact, I'm doing an event just next week for our friend Sujita in India, the Indian Staffing Federation, talking about mobility of healthcare uh, staff to to try and move move that issue forward a bit. But that shines a light on a couple of things that I think are important for our staffing industry. One is, my impression is that t- a tight labour market will increase the understanding of the importance of temporary staffing. Because if there's not enough uh, supply around for everyone to have permanent staff doing everything all of the time, the the drive to borrow staff more through staffing firms will be higher. And certainly what we I think we're seeing in the UK is a greater appreciation of the role of the industry amongst policymakers. I, I said to our conference back at the end of June that I used my favourite stat with Quasi Quarting, the business secretary, when I when I met him and he came and spoke at our conference, which was that in the UK, the industry hires a million people into new permanent jobs every year and places a million temporary workers on sites every day. And he sort of sat back and went, wow. And I think in a time of tight start, uh, tight, uh, tight labour markets, I think Certainly economic thinkers, people on the business side, people in the finance departments of governments around the world will begin to see the value that the industry delivers. Is that something that you think is happening in other jurisdictions as well? 
Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, you have your figure. I have my own figure, which resonates very well with yours, because we like to say uh, that as an industry at the global level, uh, we place more than 60 million people every year. You know, 60 million people. That's actually the population of the UK altogether, uh, close to uh, to 66 million, I think. So that's the size of the contribution we uh, we play uh, to the labor market. And it's always in times of crisis, I would say that policy makers you know, are looking for solutions and they are definitely turning to our industry because indeed when they need, you know, help and support, you know, they know that they can get it from us. So what we have seen over the, the, the last, you know, crisis we faced is that actually our industry has always, you know, got back stronger and better, you know, recognized after a crisis. So in a way, it's a bit, you know, cynical to say that, but uh, never waste a good crisis, as as you say uh, in English. Uh, but clearly, that's the case. Huh? And what we have seen is that the, the, this crisis, you know, has accelerated pre-existing trends that we have seen in the labor market, like, of course, the, the rise of, you know, remote and dispersed, you know, uh, workforce, digitalization, automation, uh, obviously but also a wider use of diverse forms of work. And we do think that, you know, this is really part of the solution to not only drive the economic recovery, but to build, in a way, to build better back, you know, and to create, you know, a labor market that will better function after the uh, after the economic uh, recovery uh, is there. So clearly we, we have a key role to play. And I would say that, this role can be threefold. On the one hand, this is definitely to support the transition to new economies. Huh? We, we are there to facilitate transitions, to ease transitions in the labor market. This is all about, you know, skilling and reskilling the workforce. As I said earlier, you know, we have seen some workers, you know, leaving uh, one sector to go to work to other sectors. But of course, it is not uh, being done automatically and that easily. You need to, to skill and reskill people. It's also how to implement, you know, new hybrid work solutions. Not always that easy. And again, to provide these, you know, diverse forms of work. So that's really important, supporting the transition. But then it's also about delivering responsible labor market intermediation. And we, we, we are seeing, you know, an increasing number of uh, intermediaries in the labor market. Some of them are really good. Some of them, you know, are more uh, related to work traders than private employment agencies. So it's really important to differentiate our industries and, and the companies that we are representing being part indeed of the uh, of the ethical part of, uh, of our industry. And the last one, I think, we that we have seen uh, during the crisis, uh, and this is a major role for industry, this is to provide solution to workforce-related risks management. Before the pandemic crisis, everything was about, you know, just in time. I think today this is much more just in case. Companies have to face new risks. Running a business means that you are facing an increasing level of complexity and uncertainty. And clearly, our industry can can contribute there to provide some uh, some solutions. First of all, securing access to the talent. Uh, I was reading an article from a French uh, newspaper early on today, and, and what is now being being said is all about the great attrition. Uh, it seems that because of the of the crisis, once again the pandemic, more and more workers are willing to to move from uh, from one job to another one. And the figures are quite impressive. In the US, it seems that. 
26% of the workers prepare themselves to look for new employment opportunities. And the figure at global level is even worse. It's close to 40% of the workers, you know, are considering leaving their current employer. Of course, this is a huge opportunity for industry because these people will need some support to identify you know, new job opportunities, but also, uh, once again, to support them in the transitioning between the, the current uh, employment situation to the new one. So major changes facing the labor market, but again, a huge role for industry to play. So very confident about the uh, the future of our industry. That's fascinating. And it resonates really clearly with a lot of what we're seeing here. There's been a lot of debate in the UK about, as you know, about umbrella companies. We're very concerned about businesses setting themselves up doing the work of agencies, but claiming that they're not agencies and pretending that they're not covered by the, the Employment Agencies Act, which is the overarching bit of legislation that governs our industry. That piece around responsible intermediation really matters because there's always a group of people who just don't like temporary work. And it strikes me that there's a a battle to be won for all of us. And it's true in the UK, but in in lots of countries, you see the example in uh, Mexico recently that uh, uh, the WEC was supporting uh, the Mexican Federation on that you might like to update us on, where the answer is just not to have temporary work for some people. And The solution for us to that is firstly to make sure we're absolutely clear about why temporary work is necessary and important and makes a big difference to people and to companies and to the general welfare of the the countries. You know, you look at the countries with high temporary work penetration in their labour markets and they typically have better outcomes overall. They typically have higher employment rates. And I think as part of that, that responsible intermediation. We need to both make the case for temporary work and demonstrate how we're making a difference to people. That's what the REC's Recruitment for Recovery campaign was all about, of course. Uh, And I think it's it's picked up in a number of the strands that WEC is uh, working on. Is this the moment, maybe, as we come out of this pandemic, to finally put the nail in the coffin of the problems temporary work therefore we re- we should be against temporary work which has come from some in the trade union movement it's certainly behind some of what we saw in mexico and get on to the answer is temporary work but here's how we do it well yeah absolutely i think we should really now recognize and take for granted that we are part of the solution we are not the only solution let's be clear if we want to solve all the different issues which face in the labor market uh, as an industry on our own we will not be able to solve that's why it's also very important for us to to have you know very good and collaborative relationship with public employment services which is also something we are we are promoting and the key the key topic there is how we can you know activate and and indeed ensure transition in the labor market for people, you know, being unemployed, but also for first-time entrants to the labor market or for people just willing to to move on with their professional career. And this is once again, you know, what we, we can do on a daily basis. I think more and more in the future, you know, individual coaching and, and providing, you know, career support to individuals will be important. And we see an increasing uh, size of this segment of the business uh, for industry because more and more people, yeah, will need to uh, to be to be supported and, and to be accompanied in this uh, increasingly uh, complex labor market. So that's for sure. But I agree with you at the same time in some countries, and this is mostly outside the Europe, 
more in developing countries, the image and the perception of our industry is not as good as it should be. So this is clearly something WEC is working on, but there's still some, so, some work to be done there to make sure that we are being recognized as indeed being part of the solution and not being part of, of the problem. But um, I, again, I, I, I'm very confident about the uh, the future to that, to that extent, you know, and, and when I see the different, you know, interactions we have with this uh, big international organizations such as the ILO, the International Labour Organization, the OECD, the World Bank. Today, the recognition is there huh, that our industry is key to, to driving the economic recovery and even more than that, you know, building the, the new normal when it comes to the world of work. The, the issues we are still facing, it's at national level in some countries. And, and again, this is uh, what we are, uh, you know, supporting our member uh, with, providing support. Spain is to some extent an issue that there is a willingness from uh, from the government to to uh, tighten the, the possibility to use agency work contracts. So that's clearly something we, we are now looking at. And uh, because the role of our industry is really to ensure that we have, you know, uh, an enabling environment for the employment and recruitment uh, companies to operate. And that's the purpose. We know regulation is one of the key drivers of the future development of our industry. As such, WC is not against regulation on our industry. On the contrary, this is a way to differentiate, you know, the good ones from the bad ones. But we want to make sure that the level of regulation is justified and proportionate. And that's why in some countries we, we are indeed fighting against some restrictions we think uh, are unjustified. Justified and proportionate and equally implied at that as well. You know, the idea that the work, the excellent work WEC have done on platform-based businesses, which is really clear, is if you're fulfilling the same service, you should be subject to the same regulation. And I think that that's super important if we look at some of the platform businesses here in the UK, for instance, who are supplying into the NHS. And there are examples around Europe, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. And this is what we call the ensuring the level playing field. Indeed, if you are a legal entity providing the ser- the same services as, you know, an employment and recruitment agency, there is no way you, you should not face the same level of regulation. Otherwise, this is indeed unfair competition. And this is something we are very much uh, careful about and fighting against, you know, not to have an, an, an level playing field is something we, uh, yeah, we, we cannot accept. And just thinking about this, you know, a lot of this is talking about the messaging that we are all as federations around the world giving to our governments and which you know the WEC and your core role core role as uh, global campaigners uh, at the ILO with the multinational bodies that that you're articulating but all of it it filters down to what happens in different countries and of course one of the great strengths I probably should throw this in for REC members of the WEC and the REC's membership is the network it allows us to build up so you know for example we were talking earlier if uh, if I have a an REC member who's interested in a growth market like Poland it's not the WEC that we necessarily push you through, but the network the WEC supports allows us to to uh, help REC members reach out to federations in different countries. And that's going to be really important if listeners are thinking about expanding internationally uh, to get in touch with the federation in that country through us and start to understand all the regulatory structure, the p- potential threats to the sector, the potential opportunities. That's a super benefit of us working together as a group of federations, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I think 
the IEC members should see the WEC as the IEC of the world. So indeed, we provide the same types of services to your own members, uh, Neil, that indeed we, we provide to our own members. Uh, and it's all about, you know, best practices sharing, indeed creating this network so, you know, members can, can talk between themselves. And indeed, if a UK-based employment agency is willing to expand abroad, overseas, and, and to go to France, Italy, or, or Poland, indeed, we can facilitate that. Not that much by providing, you know, uh, business advisory services. Huh? We, we are not the Deloitte or the, uh, you know, ENY of the world, but we can indeed put in touch, you know, your members with the national federation from the, from the relevant country. And this is where this uh, network uh, indeed uh, operates. And WC represents uh, 50 countries from around the world, from the US to Japan, about, you know, uh, 30 European countries, Australia, uh, Latin America. So, we truly we, we have a truly global coverage, having members from all around, being also fully representative of our industry at the global level. Because if you take all these countries together, this is accounting for about you know 90% of the global sales revenues of, the, of our industry. So fully representative. And indeed, we have this expertise that you know we are happy to share via our, our national federation members. Thanks to me. And of course, REC members can just get in touch with us and we can pull the things that uh, that you're doing that are most relevant to them across them and make some links ourselves as well it's a it, it's a super powerful network for businesses thinking about things internationally and of course being a member of wc gives us reach into dozens of countries as a as a starter for 10 for businesses who are thinking internationally but also means that British recruitment and staffing firms are playing their part in having this this global discussion about the value of what what the sector does and I, and and I think increasingly not just economic value uh, so we we often talk about the value to client businesses and kind of the risk management you talked about earlier Denis but one of the things that I was reminded of earlier this week by um, our friend Colin Donnery uh, uh, who's a member of the NRF in Ireland of uh, FRS recruitment he's also my lead advisor on all matters Gaelic Athletic Association we were talking about the value of uh, the industry to clients uh, and Colin picked it up and said, well, you also need to remember about the value to candidates, you know, the guidance and advice that's offered, the interview prep, the advocacy and representation, the support and salary and benefits negotiation, and helping you manage your exit from your 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 current employer. I think we've got progressively better as an industry globally at talking to governments and talking to big companies about the value of what we do. One of the things that we're really interested in here in the UK, and I can see it starting to flow through uh, some of the work that the WEC is doing, particularly thinking about these issues of skills, is, you know, how are we also standing up for the candidates, looking after the uh, the people whose lives were changing? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I mean, I think there is one motto that could embrace, you know, the two dimensions of, of our industry, yeah, both candidates and, and companies. It, it, it is the fact that we are there to simplify the complexity of the labor market. And it, it works for, for both sides of, uh, of our industry. But that's true that if you look backwards, you know, our industry has been in the past, you know, more more focused on on delivering, I would say, B two B services, uh, really focusing on the on on the user on the user companies. 
But I think this is a trend we have now seen for the last couple of years that we realize that actually candidates very much also deserve some some support. Of course, you know, in terms of uh, business model, you know, uh, most of the sales revenues from our industry uh, is still coming from uh, from the user company side. But if we want to be, uh, uh, you know, effective in this market, we, we have now uh, to look at the candidates because also we are facing, you know, tighter and tighter the market because it's getting more and more difficult to recruit, you know, uh, the right candidates. Uh, we, we, we are seeing new trends like the, the, the ghost candidate. Uh, you, you are talking to a candidate, uh, he or she seems very excited about the position, you know, and suddenly the candidate completely disappears. You know, you don't know why. You, you do not manage to, to get in touch with the candidate any longer. So indeed, people are getting, you know, probably more and more demanding when it comes to work. I think there is a trend that I always like to, to describe, which is uh, what I call the, the, the consumerization of work. People more and more want to consume work the same way they consume, you know, goods and services. So they are, you know, they have higher expectations. They are more demanding. So this is, again, making the labor market more complex. And again, this is our world to simplify this complexity. But I agree with you, probably in the future, we, we need to become a bit more of a B2C industry and keeping, of course, the very strong B2B um, business model we have, but focusing a bit more in, indeed on the, uh, on, on, the, on the consumers, if I could say, and indeed the candidates, because on the one hand, I think more and more will be expected from the uh, from individuals from the workers you know in terms of training reskilling what we are seeing also is that employers in general are less willing to invest in training or to take you know full responsibility for their employers um, role so clearly this is moving forward uh, or towards sorry to the uh, to the shoulders of the candidates and therefore as an individual it will become more and more you know difficult to navigate this new world of work and this is why support uh, will be will be needed and that's why from the wc point of view we strongly believe that in the future there will be more and more you know three party employment relationships where there will be indeed uh, an employer looking for a worker but there will be a, a middleman an intermediary facilitating not only the matching but also indeed preparing the worker for you know the new position providing support providing career coaching and 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 advice and also you know facilitating the onboarding of the candidates to to the the company. So clearly uh, an increasing role also to play for an industry there. Fascinating. And I think from our perspective at the REC, exactly the right set of priorities for us, that piece around simplifying an increasingly complex environment feels to me to have real resonance in terms of client businesses who are struggling with what their workforce strategy is now. Um, we talked offline about, you know, my triangle of what do we buy, i.e. what do we hire permanently, what do we build, i.e. what do we train. And I think there is a role for the industry in helping client businesses to understand that they're going to have to do more training and not hang about and wait for the government or whichever country to solve their skills problem for them and what do we borrow through the staffing industry and that planning piece then you can then apply to the other side of being able to give some pathways to clients on a b2c basis there's a huge opportunity there for us as an industry at a time when we've got a period certainly in western europe and in north america 
where labour markets are going to be tightening, not just because of the changes wrought by the pandemic, by the retirement of the baby boomers uh, who are beginning to leave the labour market and be replaced by smaller generations to come. You know, we're, we've got there are different issues in other countries, in, in you know fast growing areas like Africa, where the industry is not well established yet, where I think all of us think there will be a role to play over over time. Whereas China is actually more like Europe. We saw the recent change in China from a, uh, having moved from a one-child policy to a two-child policy and now on to a three-child policy because they're having exactly the same issue as, as Western Europe and North America are having. So in certainly in the more developed economies, the next 20 years is going to be a time of talent shortage. We could either as an industry lean back and think, well, that's going to make our jobs difficult, or we could lean forward and say, we've got an opportunity to make more difference than ever. Absolutely. But and there, it's always very interesting to look backwards and to look at history. Why was our industry uh, created? Well, it was during the first, you know, two uh, world wars when indeed, you know, countries were facing shortages of labor because unfortunately the men had to go to war and therefore the factories still had to run. And then some, some private, you know, placement companies established themselves to support, you know, these, uh, these factories to find the right candidate. And that was, you know, most of the time women. The same happened in, uh, in Europe in the 1950s, 1960s when we, we faced a huge industrialization of the economy and and companies were looking for for blue-collar workers and there were shortages and there again our industry developed. So our industry has never been as good as in time of a tight labor market. So again, that's why I'm quite confident about the the, the future of our industry. But the the key point you raised is really about, you know, skilling and training. I think we know that things are moving faster and faster every day. We know that, you know, core skills are becoming obsolete, you know, uh, faster and faster. So you cannot get out of university and thinking that, you know, you you won't have to, to retrain yourself for the rest of your life. No, this is not true. So clearly, user companies have a role to play as general employers, but I think our industry also has a key role to play. And we are very well placed to play that role. Actually, we, we are in a unique place because we know exactly what are the needs in the labor market in terms of uh, of skills. We know where these needs are because, as you know, we, we are very much a proximity business. Huh? We, we operate really at the local level, you know, in cities, but also even in some uh, specific areas within the city. And the last uh, advantage I see for industry in terms of training is the fact that we can mutualize the training needs. Uh, For instance, if in a city you have, you know, I don't know, 10 user companies that need each of them one welder, for instance, well, most of them are not going to create a specific training scheme to train one welder. But this is where we can, uh, you know, we, we we come in. We can say, okay, we know there are need for 10 welders in this city. We'll say uh, to the 10, you know, user companies, guys, we are going to organize this training scheme for you. And because there will be 10 welders, we can create a specific course, we can create a class and we will train them. So it's it's really the benefit of our industry to have a good and deep knowledge of what are the labor market needs. And the training we are going to organize will be very much, you know, demand driven. Uh, so we are not training people for the sake of training them, but we are training them because we know that, you know, in, in this company and this company, there, there is a need for, for this very specific skill, skill or, or qualification. So that's a major role to play for industry also in the future. I think that's 
absolutely spot on, but also really exciting. And we're already starting to see some REC members doing that in areas with really predictable demand, some of the stuff to do with decarbonisation, for instance. And the kind of focus in the UK on local devolution and local planning that's coming out of successive governments is helping as well. We're finding that regional governments and national governments with it at the sub-UK level are, are reaching out more and more to the industry to help with that kind of thinking. So the more we can do of it globally, the better, and actually learn from each other about the good ideas that are working in different jurisdictions. With that in mind, Denis, before we finish, one of the things that I'm really excited about is uh, this year's WEC conference, which is just a couple of weeks away now. It's at the beginning of September. Do you want to give listeners a flavour of everything that's going on in this conference? Because it's in Madrid, but it's accessible online, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Because of, of course, the uncertain environment, we, we had to turn the on-site event into an online event. There is still the possibility to come to Madrid if you wish so. There is a, a number of limited uh, tickets for that, but uh, this is still possible. But of course, we we assume that most of the participants will be attending the conference online. The topic of the conference is about, you know, steering a labor market in transformation, uh, very much reflecting what we have been discussing for the last 30 minutes there, with three main tracks in terms of uh, sessions. The first one is about, you know, how to deal with technological disruption, digitalization, automation, and so on. The second one is to look at the changing employee expectations, also something we we discussed earlier. And the last one is, uh, you know, how to respond to increased uncertainty. So, very relevant topic, I would say. We have three keynote speakers, um, including Peter Hinson, who is a, a digital expert. We have a professor from a, a French uh, school of management, uh, Philippe Silberson, who is an expert on disruption and how to deal with disruption. And we have also a lady from Australia talking about leadership in, in the new normal. Uh, so this is only the three keynote speakers. And then we have, I think, about 20 or 25 different you know, workshops and, and sessions. All this for a very cheap price, you know, it's uh, it's about 200 and 250 euro to attend for the full conference. So it's it's really a good bargain, I would say. So I hope indeed that uh, the IEC members will be interested and, and willing to join us uh, online uh, for this event taking place from the 6th to the 8th of September. Excellent. Thank you, Denis. And uh, I should add that uh, because there's a, a bulk buy discount, we are helping REC members uh, find friends to bring along with them if you want to to come in. So do get in touch with us if you'd like to sign up for that. And we will happily help you onto the list and uh, enjoy some of that global content uh, straight to your desktop, uh, wherever you are in in the UK. I'm really excited to be joining you. I'm chairing a, a panel on the, on the Wednesday afternoon. It's all was a really good opportunity to to learn from what's going on in other labour markets around the world. There's always something you can take from people's different experiences. So, Denis, thank you for setting up the conference again. We had a year off last year for fairly obvious reasons, but it looks like it's going to be a really exciting few days. Absolutely. And as well, very happy to welcome any uh, IEC members indeed. Well, if you're interested in joining us at the WC conference, you can check out the uh, WEC website to find out more. Denis, where will uh, people find that? You can go yeah, indeed on the WEC website, uh, wecglobal.org, and then there is a specific link to the conference website. That's probably the easiest way. 
do uh, read up on that and have a look at the sessions. I think it's going to be a fantastic event and I'm really looking forward to it. Denis, thank you ever so much for joining us today. It's been fantastic to chat to you again. No, thanks to you. Very, uh, very inspiring discussion. Always good to reflect, you know, with our members on, on the latest trends and uh, issues. Thanks, Denis. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this episode 16 for 2021 of the REC podcast, Talking Recruitment. I've been Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. If you've enjoyed this chat with Denis, why not check out episode 15 from a couple of weeks ago, where our uh, fantastic Deputy Chief Executive, Kate Shoesmith, talks to Julia Ross about embedding service ethics in recruitment. Cracking listen that, and it's available wherever you get your high quality recruitment podcasts. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon, and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, so subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.